Welcome to SkyCast episode 21, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 5, episode 7, Acceptable Losses. So, what did you think about episode 7? I loved this episode. So did I. Um, I, lo- I think they had a lot of really great plot moments while also focusing a lot on character moments and, and things that I, I really wanted to be brought up were brought up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. We got a lot of callbacks this episode. The show does not forget its backstory, no. which is great. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed every second of this episode. Yeah, I thought it was really, 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 really well crafted. <laughs> um, and also, I think paid necessary attention to things that you and I have been discussing while also moving the story forward in a really exciting way um, for the rest of the season. Yeah. So I feel like we are, you know, it makes sense. Episode seven is the middle of the the season. So we are really getting into the thick of it now. Yeah. We're over halfway done now. I know. It's crazy. It's so crazy. It moves so fast. Even with all these crazy, you know, weird breaks. Weird breaks in between. uh, It's still moving pretty quickly. Um, (laughs) We wanted to take a minute here at the top to discuss a really thoughtful listener email we received from Lucia. I hope I'm saying that right. Lucia? 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 (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, guys. Um, About last episode's podcast, I'm going to go with Lucia, which is the Italian version of this name. Uh, Lucia made a lot of great points, and there are a couple we wanted to address uh, before getting into this week's episode. So one of those... um, and I'll just read a bit of her email here. She says, A lot of people have been complaining this season that Bellamy has felt out of character, that he isn't the man we knew before, and they don't like the new him. It has really frustrated me because that's completely opposite to how I feel. As the showrunners are so fond of telling us, six years is a long time. It makes sense that these characters have changed, but change doesn't mean out of character. It just means they've developed. And this is really true. Um, I think this is something that Sarah and I have both tried to say last episode, but maybe we didn't do a great job communicating this. Um, But we do understand that these changes in Bellamy are natural development. Um, We just, we miss the old version of him more um yeah yeah but but none of this is to say that any of this is out of character so yeah I want to say I very much believe that this follows how Bellamy would have developed with his like heart versus head situation being in space for six years what I find jarring is just us not having seen that development and so you know we're coming from Bellamy 1.0 to Bellamy 2.0 with no context of the in-between um I I think that it is very much natural I just liked old Bellamy better yeah which is bad because I I actually genuinely I think that he is is much healthier healthier now so it's terrible that I like old Bellamy better it doesn't it doesn't that that makes sense though when you think of like a story perspective because the more flawed a human is the more tension there is the more story there is and you know it's more dynamic um a perfectly healthy happy person is a boring person to dramatize um so it makes sense that this is a less exciting version of him I also don't think he's perfectly healthy here but he's definitely but he's better healthier he is healthier (laughs) um One other point that Lucia brought up in her email that I wanted to call out here. She says, the Bellamy we get in 506 is panicking like all get out. Great phrase. (laughs) He is desperately trying to keep everyone together and regain his sense of stability. And in that, he reverts back to his heart-centric thinking. He makes emotional pleas to Octavia that don't change her mind and that clearly don't work. Monty confronts him about how he's already compromising himself, making deals with Octavia that put other people in danger. 
And Bellamy's counter-argument is that it's worth it to get Space Crew back together. And I think that this is a great interpretation of Bellamy's actions from last episode. Bellamy is absolutely making poor decisions um, it, that's caused by his desperation. You know, he is emotional and very heart-centric, as Lucia put it. Um, but there's there's a disconnect here for me because the old Bellamy had sharper instincts, um, which made him so valuable. And I think he... Not only he was so emotional last episode, but but it didn't seem to come from it didn't seem like the old Bellamy that I knew. Yeah, I mean that's kind of been my complaint with this Bellamy the whole way through is that in a lot of ways this like newer, healthier Bellamy is a lot more naive than the old Bellamy. Um and I think that's a detriment in this world. I think, you know, maybe it was fine up in space when you were all happy go lucky. Yeah. Um but now that we're back with, you know, crazy one crew, like Bellamy needs those sharper instincts to survive and to make good decisions and to make smart decisions. Um, so I think that's that's what's been kind of irritating me. It's like in this last episode, he did get back, you know, his flaws, but he didn't get back some of the uh, counterpoints to his flaws that made him strong. such a strong character. Yeah. yeah. But I do feel like this episode, speaking of acceptable losses, season episode seven, made significant strides yeah. in the right direction. I agree. Um, so I do feel like the writers have a pretty good grip on what they're doing with him, um, and they were laying the groundwork to show some like um, interesting character growth and character development this season for him. Yeah, I think this episode definitely merged his strengths um, from both Bellamy 1.0 and Bellamy 2.0. Um, not perfectly, but definitely they're getting you know closer to yeah. a, a center. Exactly, I agree. Um, so before we dive into the recap, quick reminder for you guys, please go rate and review us on iTunes. We would super appreciate it. It helps other fans of The 100 find us. Um, so thank you. And with that, we will go straight into the recap. Alrighty. So Dioza and Kane show the one crew defectors around the Shallow Valley Village, while the prisoners, who are looking creepy as hell, work all around them. Dioza tells the defectors that she'll be meeting with all of them separately to see what skills they have, but until she decides if they can be trusted, their shock collars are geotagged to the church. Uh, so when we see the defectors like looking out over all of these allegiance prisoners, it kind of seems like some of them are like questioning their choice to defect. They're like, what have I walked into, right. you know, out of the frying pan and into, into the, the fire. fire. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think they were thinking of the shadow, shadow, shallow valley, um, as a paradise, especially the way the Dioza presented it with her like bounties of food <laughs> and safety and, you know, it'll be a safe harbor for you. And then they get there and there's like all these scary dudes with tattoos and you know shock collars on them because they can't control their impulses um yeah I, I i can definitely see some of them questioning their choices here speaking of people who can't control their impulses do we think we're gonna see um vincent again the serial killer or was that it was that all we get i'm not sure i feel like he'll come back i mean we have a long way to go i um, really liked him and i know I you did to i'm fine back. i'm fine with him never coming back but but for your sake, I, I hope he does. Um, and I also just wanted to call out in this scene, which is the first one, how excited I am to see Echo get her own storyline in this episode. We talked a little bit about this last episode, um, but it bears repeating. I like that this episode is really Echo-centric, and we get the first scene is zeroed in on her and her storyline. And I really feel like this is the A plot line, and it's very exciting um, oh, yeah. to, to see her get this I, I absolutely loved watching Echo in this episode, and I know that there were some uh, 
angry people online about it, but, and we'll get to that later, um, but I thought Echo was fantastic and, like, 100% um, in character with the person that she used to be, but also the person that she's become here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, like, a, another character, I think, has merged her, her best talents into a nice center. In the right way. Yeah. Um, and it's just very encouraging to see the writers invest in a character like this. Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll get to other characters they don't Ugh. do so great at. Um, but for Echo, at least, it's it's very nice to see. And I applaud the writers for doing that because I think there's a lot of story here to tell and I'm excited. Yeah. So Kane goes into Abby's house and sees Karina lying dead on a table. Abby is huddled on the floor crying, saying there was too much internal damage and she did everything she could. But Kane questions if she was high during surgery and when Abby won't listen to him, he grabs her and says that he put his life on the line for her and she promised to quit. Abby tells him that she has been functioning in order to find a cure uh, or people will start dying, but Kane points Karina on the table. People are already dying. I am always impressed with how this show sets up an argument where both sides are right. I think this is another prime example of that. We see Abby and Kane sort of circling this dynamic um, often, especially in this season. And I think um, this is just another one of those really great pieces where you agree with both of them and you agree with neither of them at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just really – it's great writing. Yeah, I mean – you know, I, I know that Abby needs a wake-up call. I know that Abby needs to be the one to to make the choice to stop taking drugs. Um, yeah. No one else can make it for her. But that said, I really didn't love the way, like, King grabbed her here because it felt really violent to me. Um, yeah, I can see that. I don't feel like he meant it to be violent. He's very clearly desperate and frustrated with her. I know that. In action. I, I do believe he didn't mean it to be violent, but it just felt... You know, as a woman, and, you know, we see so many men in this world um, kind of act out, even if they don't mean to, they can sometimes... Yeah, I mean, the physicality of it alone, of him invading her space and using his grip to sort of shake her in awake, is very physical. Um, and we see that kind of um, physicality portrayed on TV a lot um, without... It necessarily, I mean, like, sometimes it's it's more um, explicit than other times. But I do think you're, like, picking up on something, which is just a man using his strength. Using his physical strength against to, a woman. Against like, a I'm woman. not saying this was, like, necessarily abusive. No, but it, no. did, it did walk a line that I was uncomfortable I with. I think it walked up to a line. It was definitely tiptoeing It was, it was walking line. on that line. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it was also a really nice callback here that we got to Octavia and Clark from season two um, when Abby was like, I did the best I could and Kane was like, it's not good enough. It reminded me of that scene um, back in at the end of season two when Octavia tells Clark, like, you know, what you're doing is not good enough, even though you're doing the best you can. Yeah. Clark um, is like, I'm doing everything I can. Yeah. And Octavia goes, well, it's not good enough. I mean, it's a direct it's almost a direct parallel. Except in this situation. I think we're he's on more the, right. We're on the other versus side versus the, the table. other side, where I think you know Clark was doing the best that she right. could. Right. I mean, we were. <laughs> I we had our backs up because we felt like Octavia wasn't appreciating everything that Clark did. Well, to Octavia be fair, didn't understand. To be fair, Clark wasn't high, so well, that's what I'm saying. Octavia yeah. didn't understand the decisions that Clark had made that whole season, which I actually am going to bring up a little bit later um, in this episode. But in here, you know. Abby really isn't doing the best she can. The best she can is to get clean and to stay clean. Right. Um, And, you know, the you know how like when um, 
people are interrogating they say like the more times you repeat something it's more likely that you're lying Mm -hmm. you know she says I did the best I can so many times in this scene Uh, she was trying to convince she she is so defensive about it Mm -hmm. like it's it's not true she's lying um and Kane knows it and he's really frustrated As Bellamy and Harper watch the computer, waiting for access to the eye in the sky, Octavia comes in with Indra. She's not entirely surprised nothing has happened yet. It wouldn't be the first time Echo has betrayed them. And then Octavia softens, saying that she knows Bellamy is upset that she shot the traitors, but they're fighting for their lives, and once they get to Shallow Valley, things will be different. But, as Bellamy reminds her, that's what Space Crew all said about getting back to the ground, and then they found her. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Do we believe Octavia's, like, softness towards Bellamy here? It it seemed genuine, but knowing how good she is at manipulating people now, like, I wonder, I'm just wondering how genuine this actually is. I don't think Octavia has any idea who she is anymore. I think every single thing we see of her from like the the strongest of the blood reina to, you know, here where it's like Octavia's sister's back Mm -hmm. is all an act because she has no idea who she is anymore. So she's just like putting on all of these roles and none of them really feel right to her. Yeah, she's just interchanging her masks to suit her needs without ever really stopping to and analyze that so like in many ways i do think she's being manipulative but i also think she's most manipulative because she herself doesn't realize or she doesn't understand the real person that she is right or her motivation yeah she's just she's trying her best it's just her best it's not good good enough enough. (laughs) it's not good enough um but i have to say I live for Sassy Bellamy. Oh, yeah. And we got it so much in this episode. Oh, yeah. He's a little sass machine. I, I missed this Bellamy. This, was, this is kind of what I, I missed from the old Bellamy is like, you know, he wasn't, he's he's never been much for humor, but he does have some really dry, like, on point moments. Yeah, he's got some zingers up his sleeve. Mm-hmm. I like when he deploys them. I do have to say also in this scene that Indra gets extra star, double bonus star points all the way for defending Echo um and Bellamy to Octavia. I just, like, when she was like, maybe you should listen to her brother. I was just like, thank you, Indra. Yeah, Indra. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Indra's the voice of reason. She's been the voice of reason. Um, and that becomes very, very clear this episode. Yeah. That without her, Octavia is going to get worse. Oh, yeah. She'll she'll be descending into craziness, crazy town. Um, and also, oh, look. Harper had more than one line here. Barely. But, but more than one. <laughs> Barely. Barely. In fact... Given what happens in the rest of this episode, I'm not. This doesn't even count. That's true. It has been, it has been negated. I. Ugh. This doesn't even count as progress. I get more and more frustrated Angry. with their writing for Harper every episode. Yeah, but let's get to that, Leah. Yeah. Okay. Maddie is preparing for her first day of lessons with the one crew novitiates, and Clark tells her that she's not allowed to stand out in any way. No one can think she'll make a good commander, and once Echo gets them access to the Allegius cameras, they get to go back to Shallow Valley, where Maddie, clearly annoyed, says she maybe won't have to suck anymore. After she leaves, Clark finds Jasper's letter and goggles. Um, I am really impressed with how committed the writers are to making Maddie act like a preteen, 
and in turn she is so good at acting like a preteen she I mean, feels so genuine um as like a person she feels like a person and not yeah. just a character Lola Flannery does such a good job at doing this and, and we've talked about this before but it is such a fine line to to carry that naivete of a child while also grappling with your new identity as a pre-adolescent I mean there's so many hormones happening um and I just think that they've done a really good job of actualizing this baby person I I adore Maddie I adore her I adore her characterization I also adore mom Clark braiding her hair it just like melts my heart this whole scene pretty damn cute it was so cute so like domestic it was (laughs) it was a sweet moment yeah it was a really mom mom thing to do uh, it felt really natural. Clark tracks down Monty in the hydro farm. Monty thought it might help him to be around greenery again, but it doesn't. The hydro farm is all but dead. Clark gives him Jasper's letter, saying that she found it after Prime Fire and nearly read it a few times, but now she's glad she didn't. Suddenly the door opens and Monty and Clark hide. Cooper comes in wheeling a body, leaves it in a side room, and locks the door. Uh, so I'm really, really glad we had a Jasper callback in this episode. Yeah, There's several. There's a lot that's left um, kind of open-ended with that storyline. You know, we, from a story perspective, were not pleased with how they wrote that entire thing and how they ended Jasper's story. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that we're still kind of getting this discussion and we're still, you know, thinking back to why Jasper did what he did and and how we can fight that going forward. Yeah, and how to integrate those lessons into these characters Mm -hmm. lives um in a healthier way in a healthier way I think it's it's really important especially since we were so dissatisfied with the way that they chose to end his story um that it continues on Mm -hmm. um I still really I appreciate the fact that Monty can still recognize Jasper's handwriting after six years I think that's adorable yeah and sweet and and devastating yeah it's heartbreaking um so let's be real guys I am pretty sure we all thought she was wheeling that body into the food place to eat him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I wasn't sure if it was going to be to eat him or to fertilize yeah, well, him. Yeah, I actually thought when she was, like, uh, wheeling him into the hydro farm, I was like, oh, my God, are they using the bodies as fertilizer? It really is, like, a soylent yeah. green situation. Yeah, but I'm glad that they didn't do it in this episode because it doesn't – it did it, it didn't feel like it had enough build up to it. You yeah. Know, it would have been really anticlimactic if this was the reveal. Um, so I'm really glad that this didn't happen right now. I'm, I'm waiting for it to be more climatic than that. Once Cooper's gone, Monty opens the door with a little magne- magnetic trick, and inside they find a biocontainment lab. Clark pulls the curtain off a tank, and they're horrified to discover the body is infested with those parasitic worms. Monty thought no one else was bitten, and they weren't, only for Clark to realize that they're breeding the worms to deliver them to Shallow Valley in a defector. This was so disgusting. It's pretty gross. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I hated it. Uh, I mean, again here, when Clark, like, pulled back the curtain and, like, sh- like gasped, I really, really, really thought they were going to find a person, like, half-eaten. <laughs> um, like a little I, knife and fork next <laughs> No, just, like, I, th- I thought they were going to find, like, a partial person. No, I, I know what you mean. It was teasing. Uh, and maybe maybe a knife and fork and some, like, little bite marks. Yeah, like, a little salt and pepper. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I was just a little bit disappointed to find out it was only the worms, but then I was happy again because I like these worms. No, I think this was genius. Um, <laughs> it's a really good plot line. And I, I honestly, I guess I didn't really think they were, I thought that, that worm um, episode was kind of a one-off 
which was stupid. I should have, you know, yeah, thought it was going to continue. Yeah, they don't do that. I mean, we've had to learn this lesson every season. Because I remember thinking back that, like, I thought it was just, like, the worm's purpose was so that they couldn't just march to Shallow Valley. Yeah, no, they served a function, but now they serve another function. So I'm saying I'm glad that they've, like, made them serve, back. you know, more of a function yeah, in this season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I feel like we've we've had this kind of revelation every season so far. Yeah. Um, because the writers are really smart. They're smarter than us. Um, speaking of smart people, I just have to p- call out Monty and his like little magnet trick oh, because know. it felt like I was watching a spy movie. You know, he was like using, he was like <laughs> MacGyvering that shit. It was awesome. <laughs> also, his ye of little faith is kind of like a little Monty catchphrase. Yeah. He's definitely used that before. Yeah, he has. It's Everyone should have faith in Monty. <laughs> especially Clark. Especially Clark. She knows. She knows how smart he is. In the church, Echo and Raven have to pretend not to be excited to see each other. Raven hopes this is a rescue op, and Echo, who notes that they're being watched, pulls her to the side and tells her about their plan. Echo asks if Kane can help, but Raven says Kane is different than he used to be, to which Echo notes that everyone from the bunker is different. But they do have someone on the inside, Zeke. Or Shaw, you know, not Zeke. <laughs> Shaw. Shaw, but Zeke. Uh, Echo asks if they can trust him, and Raven hopes so, because he's their only shot. But when Raven tries to get Zeke's attention, he at first blows her off, but later gives her a blanket, hiding a message for her to stay back from Karina's funeral. I loved seeing Echo and Raven not only working together, but also acting as friends. Like, they were so excited to see each other, um, and they're just... They're very well suited and they're very comfortable with each other um, and they know each other so well. It was really, really nice to see. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's not canon, but it's pretty close to canon that Raven was the person that Echo gravitated toward most on the ship, especially at first. Um, Raven has that same bluntness that Echo has. Uh, and I think also Raven didn't carry the same level of hate for Echo as, you know, someone like Bellamy did. So I, I think Echo really deeply respects Raven, and they, they came to be great friends. Yeah, I think everyone on the arc, with the exception possibly of Murphy, um, became really great friends. And I love, I love the idea of them all being a family. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really cute. Uh, also, like, this episode really knocked this in for me, but Echo is such a – or, or Tazi Tellius, who plays Echo, really does this – role in a fascinating way where Echo is such a sensual person like everything that she says sounds very sensual but at the same time her like persona is not at all sensual it's very sharp it's very blunt Um, and the way that she kind of walks that line I think is fascinating and I think we saw you know with last episode when she and Bellamy had sex that sensuality really you know was at the forefront um and now it's something that's like almost hard for me to get out of my brain yeah yeah but I think it's like part of being a spy is having this kind of seductive quality yeah um but also like using it as a tool in your arsenal that you can turn off or dial up or down at your will um, and that's just like another skill that she's got on her tool belt. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just really impressive to me how Tazia Telly's really kind of hits that on the head. Yeah, she's fantastic. Um, one thing to note in this scene, Kane is still taking on the religious duties. You know, he's like performing the last rites for um, Karina. Um, so I'm just curious, like, was this his job in the bunker? Or is he just like self-appointing himself as the spiritual leader Mm, I think he's probably just self-appointing himself I think that the spiritual leaders in the bunker were Gaia and and well yeah that's true I don't think that Kane had that sort of role um which is good because whenever Kane takes on this role I get really annoyed (laughs) that's fair 
Uh, I also am really excited to see Raven's reaction to meeting one crew. Um, I, I kind of forgot before this episode that she hadn't really saw 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 what they become. Yeah. I guess um, she's had no so exposure she has, to she them. She has no idea what she's in for, and I can't wait to see. <laughs> in for a rude awakening. Yes. Bellamy doesn't think his sister would approve of human testing, but Clark says that desperation has a way of making the unimaginable a necessity. Bellamy argues that if they weaponize the worms and send them into the valley, it will kill everyone they love there. And of course, as Monty notes, unleashing an invasive invasive species in the last habitable land on Earth is a terrible idea. Bellamy realizes they need help from someone Octavia will listen to, Indra. But when he gets up to talk to her, Monty reminds Clark that Bellamy helped Pike kill 300 of Indra's people, so Clark decides to go with him. Yes! (laughs) I am so happy they had this Bellamy Pike callback. I have been waiting for this for a while. You know, I've loved the way that Indra and Bellamy have interacted this season, but I still couldn't get over the fact that, like, Bellamy killed all of her people he in front of her. He committed an atrocity. He committed a war crime uh, in front of her. And she, I mean, I think she's, you know, honorable enough to, like, push all of that to the side. But I also think, you know, I, I want that to be recognized in yeah. the text. I want it to be brought up. Um, it, it should not be forgotten. Yeah. And I'm glad that they, they called it out. Mm-hmm. This whole scene was dazzling. Delightful. And fun to watch. Yeah. Um, watching the, hu- I mean, like, this was... This was funny. Mm-hmm. Like having Bellamy get up, Monty not even making eye contact, just commenting out loud about the awkwardness of what he was about to do. Clark waiting a beat and then saying, I'll go with him. Yeah, I'll go like, with him. <laughs> was hilarious. It was so much fun to watch. Um, I just loved every second of this. Well, and then Clark going over after she tells she's Bellamy, like, be, be diplomatic. diplomatic. And then she goes over and she's like, get out. <laughs> and he's like, real diplomatic. Oh, it was so It was good. fantastic. <laughs> Um, I also have to ask, you know, does Bellamy, who has seen who his sister has become, really think that she wouldn't allow human testing? Um, Or is he really just kind of fooling himself by trying to find some semblance of the person that he used to know, something that he can, you know, save her with? Yeah, I think you just answered your own question. But it's just like, that's what I'm saying about Bellamy 2.0 being frustrating to me is... He's still, maybe, I guess maybe this is part of Bellamy 1.0, is he still has this holdover of, like, my sister could never do that. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually think this is less about Bellamy 1.0 or 2.0 and more about the fact that he doesn't know this version of Octavia. Um, he doesn't know who this person is, and I don't think, he's having a really hard time reconciling this person with the idea of Octavia. Like we've said before, I think he also romanticized her a little bit up in space and the idea of her, um, and I, I think that he is living in denial. It's just at this point, with everything that he's seen her do, human testing does not seem like that crazy to me. You I know? mean, it's 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 a, a terrible thing to do and I think he, it's hard for people to believe awful things about the people they love. So, speaking of awful things, yeah. Um biological warfare is always a terrible idea. Humans are dumb. Oh my this god. This is ridiculous. I was so glad Monty was like, yeah. um this is like the last arable place on earth. Like let's maybe not do this. Yeah. We'll also get to that in a little bit yeah. later. <laughs> Uh, when they get Indra alone, Bellamy asks if Cooper would do something without his sister's approval, and Indra says that everything goes through her, Indra, but she doesn't know what he's talking about. So Clark and Bellamy reveal the plan to use the parasitic worms against Allegius. 
Indra tells them to show her. And again, you know, Bellamy's sass is just delightful. Oh, so I loved good. it. Um, Bellamy and, and Clark and the way that they interact in the scene, it's very strong. I, I think that we are slowly starting to get back on the same page, slowly merging. We're not all the way there yet, but we're, we're getting closer. And it's definitely interesting to me that this happens after Echo leaves. Yeah. The um, buffer is left the building. Yeah. Uh, but they, they're definitely getting back on track with their partnership, which I love. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked it too. It was a really strong episode for the both of them. And they were working really well together. And that mm-hmm. was fun to watch. I like that. I mean, for me, it seemed that Indra was not that interested in talking to Bellamy. But when Clark showed up, she was suddenly like, yeah, okay, you have my attention now. I know you don't have this interpretation of this scene, but that's exactly the way it read to me. So I thought that was interesting that Clark still kind of commands this like sort of she has this like cachet left over from her one head of days that I think she still demands a lot of respect from the grounders. I disagree with you in the sense that, well, I do think that Clark has, you know, the one head of cachet still, but I think it wasn't that Indra wasn't interested in talking to Bellamy. It was just Bellamy being diplomatic. Isn't what would like force people to leave. It was Clark being like, get out that Mm -hmm. like, force kind of an immediacy into the situation yeah um I think that Indra would have talked to Bellamy but it it would have taken like a little bit more coaxing maybe um but I like that you know Clark just went straight to the page this is you know where we are we need to talk to you everyone leave (laughs) get out get out um and and Indra too I just I'm always amazed by her ability to you know put her own feelings aside for the greater good because as we said Bellamy did kill her people, and and she is still able to respect him on an interesting level that I don't think I'd be able to do. No, I Um, wouldn't even be able to look at him. She, like, listens to him, and what he says has weight with her. So I I just – Indra is wonderful. She is. In all ways. She is fantastic. We are all Indra now. Yeah. We, this this episode especially, we yeah. are all Indra. Indra. and uh, we are one. She is D-O-N-E. Done. <laughs> she, she is the fandom. Raven is waiting for Zeke when he comes in and asks her what the hell she wants. He can't get too close to any of the defectors with Dioza already questioning his loyalty. Raven says that she could use the Hethelodium power to power the entire village if he could just take her to the ship, but Zeke says that is a horrible idea since exposure to the Hethelodium is killing people. Raven asks how he can possibly be loyal to Dioza, a terrorist, but Zeke tells her about seeing Dioza help people during the Battle of San Francisco, and then he reveals that he's the one who deactivated the shock collars after learning that the Allegius crew's plans uh, was to leave the prisoners behind on the asteroid once the mining was done. So Dioza isn't as bad as Raven thinks, and Zeke isn't as good as she hoped. Um, so first off, Order 11, we called it. This is exactly what we thought, and I love that we called it. I feel really great about this. <laughs> I mean, I think it's generous when you say we. You did most of this work. I did work. call this. <laughs> yeah, I agreed with you and thought it was a really, really great theory that held a lot of weight. But I liked the theory, and I'm glad that that is yeah, what actually no, happened. Yeah, no, this is awesome. Um, it's really great. And I like that Zeke you know, was the one to not be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. As we predicted. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll start because me and you had very different interpretations of this scene. Uh, I think my biggest issue, and I've been, I've shipped Raven and Zeke before this even season even began because they on a character level seemed like they'd be really fun together. 
Yeah. Um, but I did not like this specific scene and the way that they've progressed their relationship here just because I feel like we're missing a crucial step in their development. You know, we went from Raven screaming at him that he was like a traitor or whatever in episode four or five. Yeah. It was a little while ago. Um, to her being like, oh yeah, I hope we can trust him. You know, like let's work with him. I'll, you know, try to get information from him. I just felt like I wanted to see a little bit more of like, why would Raven decide that she hopes they can trust him when he like just betrayed her. So she thought if, the, if it was that they had like planned that, yeah, that should have been stated. I, I just like, I wanted some step in between there to understand how they got to this point here when Raven is trying to trust him or trying to, you know, get him on her side. Yeah, I agree with you that we're, they, they cheated a little bit getting from point A to C. Um, I think possibly that this scene was meant to serve that function. Um, whether or not it was successful is a different matter. I think you're right in that they, it feels like they jumped a little bit. But I do feel like most of this um, scene was Raven not quite knowing the right way to approach him. And I think part of that is because she just doesn't know him very well. Um, and so we can see her changing tactics. You know, every time he shoots her down, she's like running through the list of things that might appeal to him. Um, and then finally we, we end the scene and she is surprised, I think, to find that he's more interesting than she originally believed. So I I agree that in the sense that I, I do think the writers cheated a little bit. I do kind of think this was the scene that you're talk describing. I just don't think they did a good job at it. I agree that this probably was meant to serve that function. I just I just wanted a little step in between. And I think I would have been okay with this scene. I mean, like, I still actually, I loved this scene. I did too. I thought... You know, we're, we are nitpicking here because, yeah. you know, this is a great show. They have great writing. Um, and, you know, when all is said and done, the reveal, the character reveals that we get from Zeke and the backstory we get on Dioza in this scene is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, but if there are tiny holes to, to poke, this would be one of them. Yeah. Um, I do really appreciate all of these details that they draw from the real world and put into the to the stories I mean it's crazy to think how prescient the writers are when they write these they have no idea like what will resonate in the real world or not and the fact that they have this refugee crisis detail in the backstory here um with what is going on right now in current events is just it's a little bit too on the nose like it's crazy how relevant it is right now um and I always love when the show draws these parallels to what's going on in our current life. Yeah, I mean, the show definitely has a lot of layers of foresight. I mean, I, I don't think that the refugee crisis was necessarily foresight in the same way that maybe the Pike-Trump no, um, no. connection was. But, I mean, there's been a Syrian refugee crisis going on for a while now. I don't think they had any idea that this current border yeah, that this situation, air, like, right the during... day, like literally six days before the family separation um border patrol situation was happening but i mean the the parallels that you can draw between this episode and, and what's going on right now is is really scary but also incredibly impressive yeah i mean it basically just showing us oh this is the start of the apocalypse this is where we're going i mean we knew that <laughs> we we did know that we've been um, yeah let's not get into that <laughs> Not that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Different podcast, guys. I have to say the show, 
I don't know if it, it's definitely trying to make me like Dioza, and I'm trying to find reasons to dislike her because I am obsessed with her. I love her so much. Everything she does, I'm obsessed with. Um, I loved getting a little bit of backstory here. I think, you know, we were wondering who Dioza was a terrorist against, and it seems very clear here it was the U.S. government, yeah. um, which I guess I should have called. We should, yeah, we, we I mean, I guess I that. kind of assumed, but I, you know, it wasn't confirmed. Um, I really am confused about why she killed so many innocent people if she cared about people so much as Zeke seems to say um, if she thought they were you know acceptable losses quote unquote Mm -hmm. in her you know drive to end the US government's tyranny um I, I just I need like some more context there to really well, like, yeah. pinpoint her. We need to know what happened, like what the motivation for this attack was. Maybe everyone who she maybe the building she attacked in San Francisco was full of like CIA operative agents who were like planning on destroying a country or whatever. We don't know the context. Obviously I'm trying to paint her as a as a hero. Um, yeah, well I'm saying like the thing is is I am not really as I mean, not condoning terrorism. But I don't really care as much about her blowing up government buildings. It's like killing innocent people that isn't is, is like the real issue. Um, so I just I want to know more about that, and I'm honestly not sure if we'll get it. Maybe not that specifically, but I do think we're gonna get like the impetus for her criminal activity. I hope so. This actually made me think that we maybe wouldn't because we've heard her talk about. We've, we've heard little pieces from her that have definitely built a, a fuller picture now after Zeke has told us this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, she worked for the U.S. government. They started, you know, getting a little bit tyrannical, and, and she turned against them and fought them. Like, I, I that's kind of the, the general story. Yes. I see me. what you're saying, that we have, like, a we have like a fuzzy picture or a blurry picture. But I feel like in order to fully understand her character, they're going to have to throw that into a sharper relief. I hope so. I I expect that. If we don't get it, I will be disappointed. I mean, Dioza has very quickly risen to one of my favorite characters in this show, um, which is, you know, shocking because she's an antagonist. But it's not shocking in that she's so similar to Clark. She's just so complex and so fascinating and I just I just want everything they'll give us from her I will take no I told you I would watch an entire episode about her backstory yeah I, like, I would love I that. would love that I, they, we don't have time to do that but I, I would do kind of wonder you know the next episode or two episodes from now six Semper Tyrannus yeah I wonder if maybe that's we're gonna we'll get also some get some Dioza backstory because we all assume that's going to be about Octavia and someone betraying Octavia um because right the, but the Marines do use Latin that's like a you know that's like a thing um well also it's just you know thus always to tyrants it's about someone being on a tyrant side and then basically like turning turning. against them for the good of the rest of the people which seems very similar to what dioza has done as well i that's what i was thinking too i I hope i I feel like we're gonna get it in episode nine fingers and toes crossed man Dioza asks Echo why she defected, but Echo says she's not one crew, so she didn't defect. She fled. Octavia took everything from her, and she's come to Dioza now because she's got nowhere else to go. Dioza asks how Echo could be useful in their camp, and Dioza or and Echo tells her that she's a spy, which Dioza already knows. Dioza just isn't sure if she's an incompetent spy or if she's working an angle. Only time will tell. Um, I loved seeing Dioza and Echo here square off. It was kind of another interesting pair that I think had a lot of parallels to the way that Clark and Dioza work, but also was a little bit different. I think Echo is much more blunt 
um, than Clark is. Clark is definitely kind of more toward a manipulative end. Mm -hmm. Um, And Echo manipulates, but in the way that she manipulates, it's like by telling the truth. It's by telling facts. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think she's on sure foot Mm -hmm. than Clark was. I think she recognizes Dioza as a formidable opponent um, in a way that maybe Clark was underestimating her. Yeah. And then got the rug pulled out from underneath her. Um, I loved watching Echo work too. I think it's awesome to see her moves and her counter moves with Dioza. You know, knowing that Kane would have told Dioza everything about her um, and then using that information as a, as a way of crafting her own narrative around her mm-hmm. that didn't contra- contradict anything that Kane said, but maybe shifted it in a way that was to her own advantage. It was genius. Um, I just, she's, she's awesome. I, I love her. I Echo more and more yeah. every episode. She's great. I mean, this is what we wanted from her, right? This yeah. is what we were begging for all of last season. This is what I wanted. I'm very pleased with this. Thank you. I am, I'm literally talking to the writers. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. When Echo leaves, Kane tells Dioza he blames her for Karina dying because it's Dioza who gave Abby the pills. Kane asks her to cut Abby's supply because she'll be a better doctor, but Dioza says she has to survive detox first. And plus, if they force Abby to quit, then she'll still be obsessed with finding her next fix instead of looking for a cure for Dioza's people. Kane asks if Dioza is sick, and she says she's not. And in that case, Kane wonders if this sickness is a good way to get rid of some of the prisoners, which Dioza takes issue with. Yeah, um... I loved this callback to season one. As Kane was saying the words, I kept thinking like, oh, wow, Kane, like you sound just like you did on the arc in season <laughs> one. Um, his cavalier attitude toward criminals um, and using their criminal behavior to justify their death <laughs> or getting rid of them is is an interesting reversion for him. Um, I wasn't expecting this. I don't like it. Um, but I'm glad that they brought up, I'm glad that Dioza takes issue with it and that also she calls it him out on it textually. Yeah. I mean, it's not just that Kane is reverting back to this. You know, we were talking about this even as soon as last episode, um, about maybe wondering if Dioza would turn from Allegius now that, you know, one crew has started to defect. Um, but it's clear here that she's still loyal to everyone and it kind of makes, it puts our own opinions into perspective because I have to say, even though Kane is clearly written to be in the wrong here, I don't disagree with him. No. And I think that is partially because we haven't seen any of the prisoners with, like, actual human characteristics. They're all crazy and, like, evil is what it Right. I mean, they've been painted with a very broad brush. And yeah. the writers haven't done anything to draw um, any kind of complex characterization for them. So I think it's fair as viewers to just be like yeah it would be really convenient to get rid of all of you but I think what this scene does so well is draw that kind of bias really Mm -hmm. into perspective and say you know regardless of what they are and what they have done like these are still human beings and they don't deserve to die you can't put a value on different people um so that's really interesting I like I like when this show puts a mirror up in front of your face and Dioza obviously knows them all much more complexly than we do right I mean Dioza's the only real complex look we've got at someone you know I mm. wouldn't call McCreary to be a complex person no um, he's an, he's very an straightforward. interesting he's character. interesting but, but I, not in a there's not a lot of layers there no. <laughs> not a lot to dissect um but yeah so I'm, de- I'm definitely hoping that they maybe will give us a little bit more prisoner context so we can feel the the real um 
the tug the, the tug between the two and we can we can feel like oh there are people here who are worth saving as well yeah I agree and I thought we were gonna get a little bit this is kind of how I felt back in season three with Pike's um with farm yeah station, farm station. you know where I, I wanted to see more characterization and more humanity drawn um from these new characters yeah. um instead of just getting them in lump, one lump sum like we got the the context of like oh they had to fight to survive from like the day they landed but we never got that connecting tissue we we, we we were told and we didn't get shown right um and that same way i'd really like to be shown here that these prisoners are complex people who deserve saving <laughs> i agree i totally agree in the training room maddie is fighting poorly against ethan who knocks her down gaia is upset and dismisses them but keeps maddie back Gaia knows that Maddie is holding back and says it's a smart plan, but it's clear what Maddie was doing, and she's going to have to fake it better when they fight for Octavia the next day. Then Gaia shows Maddie the flame, saying that Maddie has the blood of the first commander running through her veins, and although Gaia wouldn't force her to take the flame, she'll never let anyone hurt Maddie. So, do we believe Gaia when she says she won't force Maddie to take the flame? Like, I don't, I don't think she's lying, per se, in this scene, but I wouldn't rule it out I just I feel like I've been so enamored with her from last episode where she just was such a positive force after I assumed the worst from her that I am now questioning my own loyalty to her it's just it's just all happened very fast and I I love her but I'm questioning that because it seems too good to be true I don't think I saw her quite as positively as you saw her last episode. I definitely think she's on she's on our side if there are sides here. Mm-hmm. Like, she does want Maddie to be safe. Um, and I really don't think she's lying and saying that she wouldn't force Maddie to take the flame. But I also think that she's maybe not taking into account how bad things might get later. I think right now she truly believes that, like, I would never force this on you. Right. But, you know, if things get worse up at some point that might change and in many ways I think that she has started to force it on her already because the way that Gaia um discusses this is very manipulative um and it very much is about you know getting Maddie comfortable with this idea of the flame yeah I mean she even uses like really seductive language here she's like talk calls it beautiful and there's all this like mystical whispering that's happening which is this sort of magical or supernatural element to this which is clearly enchanting to Maddie Mm -hmm. um I think Gaia is very charming um and obviously beautiful um and I think for somebody as naive as Maddie is um it would be very easy for her to to get swept up in this mythology um that Gaia is promoting yeah I mean I I I really think that I would follow Gaia. <laughs> well, no, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. like, my God. If I were that young. And, look, yeah. I, she looks so damn good in this Jedi that's outfit. So... I just, like, I was looking at this, and I was like, what would I pay to look like you? <laughs> the, the number doesn't exist. I would pay a lot of money to look like her. <laughs> um, and this also begs the question, how much does Maddie actually know about the flame? Like, how much has Clark told her? How much did she already know because, you know, she was hiding under the floor from the flame keepers? What are her thoughts about it? Because to me, it almost seems like she would be more afraid of the flame now than she is. I feel like that would have been a fear that would have been instilled in her from a young age yeah. about like becoming commander and, totally. and what that means. Um, but that's not what we see here. So I'm just I'm wondering 
I just I want to know what she knows and and how she really feels about it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Um, also, just a very tiny note in this scene, but I have to say, Ethan is a punk ass bitch. Yeah, he is. He is a little jerk, and uh, I don't like him very much. So no, I hope you that are a changes. jerk face. Yeah, I, I'm curious. You know, I guess that makes sense because he was raised by Octavia. Wolves. <laughs> Wolves. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I hope that changes because. I kind of wanted him to be better than he is. <laughs> yeah, but I think this is a good starting place and it gives him room to grow. Yeah, so that's, that's true. encouraging. That's true. After Indra kills the living test subject, Octavia and Cooper come in. When Indra asks Octavia if she knew about this, Octavia says it was her idea. Clark wonders what will happen when the secret weapon destroys the valley they're fighting for, but Cooper says the worms can't survive in the green areas longer than a few days, just long enough to kill everyone they come in contact with. Bellamy is horrified that they're considering this. They have friends in the valley, but Octavia says they're acceptable losses. Always pay attention when they say the episode title out loud. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this wasn't subtle. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, here's the thing that is, like, super frustrating about this whole um, biological warfare thing is Cooper being like, "Ugh, these worms can't survive in green areas for longer than, you know, a few days. Bullshit bullshit i'll tell you why <laughs> tell me why <laughs> these creatures jason has already confirmed were the same uh like wormy type creatures that we saw both in episode one that like grabbed octavia in the water mm-hmm. um in episode i don't know toward the end of season two when jaha threw that guy overboard and the got shrieking eaten eels. by the, the shrieking eels um and then now they have managed to survive not one apocalypse but two and adapt in those ways which make them very very adaptable creatures they put a lot of them into this green space. I bet most of them will die. But if even one or two have some sort of um, uh, mutation that allows them to survive, you know, long enough in the green area to take over, they're dead. We're done. We're yeah. dead. These things breed like crazy. Like, it's just ridiculous to think that you have that kind of control over nature when it's already clear that nature is better than you. Nature <laughs> will find a way. Yeah. So, um, so no, bad idea. I 100% agree with you, was thinking this myself, and I'm horrified, as Bellamy is, that this is even being considered. Yeah. Octavia asks Bellamy how how many people he sacrificed, or how many people Juanjeda has sacrificed. There's no difference. They were trying to save their people, and now she's trying to save hers. And it turns out that Octavia didn't know that Cooper was experimenting on someone living, but she's willing to use what they've learned from it. Clark tries to talk Octavia out of it, but Octavia knows that Clark experimented on someone back in Becca's lab. Octavia tells Bellamy that she didn't want anything to happen to his friends, but this is war, and that they have to do what it takes to get one crew home to the valley. Yeah, so the scariest thing about this um, is that Octavia is absolutely right. Um, We don't like it, but nothing she said here was untrue. And again, it's really great to see the story calling out our own hypocrisy as well as Clark's. Um, And it begs the question, like, what is the difference? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, her being absolutely right is true, but she's still wrong in being right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think the difference for me on a personal level is that when Clark experimented on fake Bayless, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. um, back in the lab and, you know, killed him horribly, that was because they were facing the literal end of the world. So it was either do this or they would all die. 
Um, and here, I think there are a lot of other options, but Octavia is still only open to, to choosing one of those options. She's not seeing or giving any um, weight to other paths they could take. Yeah, I um, actually think that's a really, really good point. And I like, I like that idea of why one of these situations feels okay to me and the other one does not and that's that is a good point and in, in that want the stakes are higher in one and the other um yeah yeah it's also interesting to see um that octavia does seem to understand why bellamy and clark made the choices that they did in a way that the old octavia never did um she's now you know making those exact same choices and comparing them to what clark and bellamy did so even though you know she's kind of throwing it in their faces as we've talked about before in, in earlier episodes, I think Octavia has come to an understanding about the kinds of leaders that Clark and Bellamy were and and the reasons they did things that they did and, and that sometimes they're necessary. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it would be nice if she could have like gotten to this understanding, um, without having to become this monster, but you know. And I'm not excusing the things that Clark and Bellamy did no. because they did some horrible things. Yes. But we just didn't have a podcast then to talk that's about. That's true, them. and but there but there were reasons <laughs> for it. There's always reasons that give it context. Whether it makes it okay or not is a different discussion. But um, Octavia never seemed to understand the reasons. Totally. I also love Indra's just clear disdain for Cooper. Again, Indra is us. I hate <laughs> she Cooper. is D O N E done. I hate Cooper so much. I hate her for just even thinking of this and experimenting on live people in the first place. It's disgusting. Literally nothing Cooper does is good. She's no, just she's the worst. She's the worst. TM. <laughs> um, and again here, for the second time this episode, we see Octavia trying to suck up to Bellamy to like justify her actions. But coming from her, it just sounds so fake. Like she just doesn't believe anything she's saying ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's true. It, it, it just sounds so wrong coming from her. Sounds like a, like a mime. Like yeah. Like a puppet. Um, and one last thing, it's just, you know, nice job reminding Clark that she was once one Hedda, uh, nice job kind of bringing that back to the forefront because yeah, that, maybe she needed a little yeah. reminder, <laughs> a little push, a little <laughs> nudge, uh, Raven tells Echo that they're not betraying Zeke, but Echo tells her that there are times in war where you have to do the wrong things for the right reasons. And this is one of those times. Plus the prisoners won't kill Zeke because they need him to fly. But Raven refuses to betray their only friend at camp. He'll get her to the bridge. She just needs more time to convince him. I thought this was a really great editing cut. Um, they went directly from Octavia justifying the means for her war. And then they have Echo, you know, giving voice to the same philosophy right after it um, to really push down this message and this theme of this episode. It was a great cut and it was brilliant. And just wanted to call that out yeah and not just paralleling you know octavia and echo but also paralleling echo with what clark and bellamy have done in the past totally um the the wrong reasons like maybe irradiating an entire mountain full of people for you know the right reasons which is saving your people um so i i think that this is putting into context a lot of what echo does later on in this episode totally 
Back in the bunker, Bellamy says that as soon as Echo gets down, or gets the eye down, they'll drive the rover to Shallow Valley and save their friends. But Monty hates this plan. He pulls out Jasper's suicide note and reads it, a note that basically says that humanity is a virus on Earth, and the only way the cycle can be broken is when humans are no longer here. Monty says that Jasper realized the violent cycle they were stuck in before they did. They keep trying to help, but they're only making things worse, and if war is the only way to have the last survivable land on Earth, then maybe they don't deserve it. So Jasper is right. Humans, they're the worst. Um, This line feels so meta for how our own current society um, is so dysfunctional right now. I mean, I feel like the writers are really using Jasper's letter as a mouthpiece to speak directly to the viewers and how we are just sort of stuck, to, to borrow from Westworld, stuck in our loops, ignoring the danger signs and the warning signs and making the same mistakes over and over again in our policies and our, you know, environmentally unsafe practices like whatever it is you know I I feel like they're really talking right to us yeah I mean that's the cycle we see historically the horrible things that have happened um because people have made certain choices and yet even though we know that they made those certain choices that led to those horrible outcomes we continue to make those certain choices and expect those horrible outcomes not to come definition (laughs) Definition of of insanity insanity. (laughs) Um, And so given this, I do feel like this episode points to um, this entire season really being about breaking the cycle of violence. Um, In this episode, you know, I I kind of wonder if at the end of this season, both sides will kind of agree to lay down their their swords or their their guns or whatever Mm -hmm. um, to, to kind of come to a consensus together of the best ways to survive that would Um, be really refreshing it would be really nice i feel like that could be really cool the show has shown humanity in a very certain light and they're not wrong but i do think there are moments in this show in the past that have proven that people can be different if you give them the options um specifically speaking of the culling in season one Mm -hmm. about people you know choosing to die to save others i i think that we're very complex creatures. Um, we have a lot of flaws, but we also have a lot of passion and goodness as a species um, and the capacity to love that I think can also really help us in times like this. Um, so I hope that's the direction that they're going to choose to go. Totally. Yeah. I'm not I, positive, I think but just from like a story point of view, I mean, we've we've seen a version of this every season where the other side doesn't put down their weapons mm-hmm. and we are forced to fight um it would be really interesting i think just from a, from a narrative point of view to to see something different than that yeah i also took notice of the phrasing that the only way to break the cycle of violence is for humans to no longer be here <laughs> and i probably am reading way too much into this but we're deaf going to another planet right <laughs> i mean you know what I don't know. I think we just got to leave Earth to do its thing. Like, we I are a virus on this planet. I don't think the location is the problem. I <laughs> no, think I don't either. Humans are the problem. I don't, I don't the either. The emphasis is on the word human specifically. So maybe the solution is for aliens to come in. But it was it was, a, it was an interesting way to phrase it. It was. Um, it was. Because it wasn't like for humans to all die off. It was like for us to no longer be here. Yeah. Um, so just going to, like, leave that little yeah. nugget yeah, you can there. just put a pin in that. <laughs> Uh, and again, Harper had a whole half a line here to console Monty. Nothing about herself at all. I <laughs> Do we want to get into it here? Do we want to get into it later? We can get into it here. I don't think we see her. Well, I guess we do see. Okay, well, we'll wait. Yeah, we'll wait, wait until the end. Let's just say 
that I rolled my eyes so far back at this that I could see into the back of my skull. <laughs> um, I'm very disappointed by everything that Harper had to do in this scene, which is nothing. Monty, um, it's okay. Is it okay, <laughs> Harper? Is it? What does that even mean? I'm not angry with Harper. I'm angry with the writers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's not Harper I'm ragging on. <laughs> no, it's the writers. I don't understand how they can spend so much time writing Echo and not Harper. We'll get into it later. Indra comes into Octavia's office, upset that Octavia didn't tell her about the bio-warfare plan, but Octavia won't apologize. After all, when was Indra going to tell her she helped Kane escape? If they lose, Octavia says that will be why, and Indra does feel horrible about it, but she doesn't regret it. Octavia threatens to throw her in the pit, but now Indra is the one who won't apologize, not for saving Octavia from herself. When Octavia screams at her to leave, Indra tells her to be careful of the dark, as it's too easy to lose your way. This is such a great line. I mean, this this whole interaction was so cathartic. We've been heading to this point all season. Um, and I'm just really glad that Indra finally stood up to Octavia and held a mirror up in front of her face and really showed her how dangerous this path she's currently on is um, and how disapproving Indra is. Um, I just really loved it. Yeah, I mean... I thought this scene was really great and really put into context what their relationship has become. Um, this scene also changed my mind about who the person is who's going to betray Octavia because we know someone will. Um, I definitely put forth Indra as an option, but I was leaning more toward Bellamy being the one. Um, but this scene makes me think that it really will be Indra who's doing it and she'll do it taking Octavia out, whether it's, you know, killing her or whatever to like save Octavia's soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be devastating. <laughs> it will, but it would also be really good, good television. Yeah, I mean, she's going to betray her because she loves her. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is something very Shakespearean about this whole scene. It feels very tragic, like a Greek tragedy, um, with Octavia, like, literally spiraling into madness before our eyes. You know, she's she's doomed if she continues down this path. Um, and we see later that this is true, and, and we know that that she, the the events that she's put into motion are going to come back to bite her in the butt. Um, and it, it the way that this played with her throwing things against the wall and she's screaming and shouting, I mean, this is a level of of instability that we haven't really seen from her. She's usually so controlled. Um, to see her lose it like this is, is really scary. Yeah, I kind of want to bring up something again that I discussed a little bit earlier. Um, but with Octavia not knowing who she is anymore you know back before this time jump Octavia for all of her flaws I think definitely knew exactly who she was and what she believed whether it was right or wrong that's a different story yeah um but now she's kind of played this role for so long uh because you know she's been forced to keep everyone together even though this isn't a role that she ever wanted to take on that she has honestly lost all semblance of herself everything that she's doing is is fake like from either you know being Bloodrena to trying to get Bellamy on her side and being the soft sister um this is the first moment I think that we get from her that's real yeah that's pure and genuine that's her really like losing control I mean, of I, all of these personas that she's kind if of you, if you consider all of these different personas as like masks mm -hmm. um and it's if this is her unmasks unmasked um and this is what is underneath the mask is this She's Mad losing it. Madness. Yeah. It's scary. Well, and I think that kind of leads into someone who's a tyrant who kind of has lost all 
sense of reality inside themselves. I think Octavia has I don't think she's quite there yet but she's definitely right and begun and, that journey and that's why Indra has this beautiful line beware of the, the darkness it's easy to lose your way mm-hmm. I mean it, it's just you couldn't say it any better than that Echo sneaks out of the church at night and tells Dioza that Zeke was the one who locked Allegius out of their missile system, not Raven. Raven is then brought onto the bridge of the dropship, clearly horrified that Echo told Dioza about Zeke. Echo asks Raven to show Zeke or to show Dioza that it was Zeke who locked the missiles, and Raven realizes this is their chance to infect Allegius's systems. As Raven shows Dioza Zeke's ghost trail, Echo sneakily puts the drive in the computer to give Monty access to the systems. So, yeah. Um, let's just kind of like discuss it a little bit. I don't want to delve you know, too deep into it, but there are a lot of people online who are furious at Echo for this, who basically wanted to die. And I, I get the anger because a lot of people have come to really like Zeke, but putting this into perspective of who Echo is and what she has to get done in a very short period of time um, and what she knows about these people, this makes 100% sense for her character. And not just that, but I firmly believe that if Clark were here, Clark would have made the exact same decision and people wouldn't have been as hard on her for that. Yeah, I think it's unfair to demonize a character when they are acting in character. I mean, you don't have to like it, but you need to respect the the organic nature of their of their personality well and it's not just that she's acting in character too but she's not acting maliciously she's she said to raven before like they're not going to kill zeke they need him like i'm not like sentencing him to die we have to get this done in a very short period of time we're running out of of time to stop this war um i i think echo made the best choice she could with the information that she had and i don't think it was the wrong choice. No, I, that's, yeah, exactly. And I, I don't want to speak for other people. And obviously, like, I don't know this for a fact. But my instinct is that the reason why people are so upset about this is be, it goes back to shipping. And that Zeke, you know, people really ship Zeke Yeah, he's like Raven. our precious cinnamon yeah, <laughs> And also, they don't ship Echo with Bellamy. And so she's already sort of been... Um, you know cast out for that so this is just like another thing and it's just not fair to treat a character with all of that extra baggage Mm -hmm. and your own personal bias that has nothing to do with what's being portrayed on the screen um it's unfair and unacceptable I think Echo did I think Echo's behavior in this episode makes perfect sense I don't have an issue with it I love it. I love that the writers are giving her all of this stuff to do. I like how complex it is and speaks to all of her past and present. Like you said, merging both the, both echoes that we've come to know together in a way that makes perfect sense. And to say otherwise, I think, is says more about you than it does about the show. Yeah, and I think that Echo, you know, we saw in the past that she would very easily betray people for her her own people um but she would feel guilty about it i think she did feel guilty about you know killing gina or being like part of the the plan to kill gina and the rest of the people um but here you know we see her she genuinely doesn't want zeke hurt i don't think she cares about zeke as much um you know he's he's just a you know a figure to her she hasn't met him but she does care about raven caring about zeke um and she doesn't want to hurt him and and she really goes into this knowing that they can't do anything too bad to him. 
Right. Because again, they need him. There are there are safety nets. Put so in she's place. not she's not selling someone out to die in the same way that old Echo did. Yeah. She's you know selling someone out for sure, but it's also someone that you know let Raven get tortured because he was too scared to come clean himself. So Zeke is not our our precious cinnamon roll. No, that <laughs> not at all. Um, moving on from this, before we start being a dead horse. Yeah. Um, I did want to just comment on how much fun it was to see um raven and echo working together in synchronization i mean raven is clearly upset with echo's choice here but she doesn't do anything to jeopardize the mission even though she's clearly upset um and gets on board pretty much immediately and the two of them working in tandem is just a beautiful sight to see it really is and raven kind of understanding so quickly what needed to be done yeah and and putting aside her emotions I mean, was she's, perfect. She's just so smart. And Echo Man was so smooth here with that like slip in the drive in smooth and hiding it. AF. <laughs> oh my god, she was amazing. It was a really great scene. I was very nervous. Me too. Like I I, I was pretty sure it was going to be fine, but I was just like, well, I think it's a testament to the writing because we know how sharp Dioza mm-hmm. is. We've we've had enough context to tell us that nothing really gets by her. She's very sharp. I wouldn't have been shocked if it weren't all fine. You know what I mean? No, yeah. I, it could have gone, gone either, either way. way. But it, it didn't. It, it was didn't, good. And it was great. Clark and Bellamy see that Echo got them access to the computers, but Clark tells him as soon as they let Octavia know, she'll unleash the worms. <laughs> Bellamy agrees, and that's why they have to beat Octavia there and re- rescue their friends. Once they're safe, they can worry about stopping the war. Bellamy says they'll get Monty and Harper, and she'll get Maddie, and they'll leave that night. Um, I really loved seeing Clark and Bellamy as a team here. Like, oh, you get your people, I'll get my people. We're going to merge together and we're going to go. Yeah. Um, finally, they're like communicating again. You know, they're still, they're not even close to what they used to be. Um, but we're, we're, we're merging again. We are making babies. Yeah, steps. this was nice. Yes, this was nice. And I just have to say that I think this is a terrible plan. This would have never worked, even if they had gotten all three, three of them. Like, I just don't believe that this plan would have worked. It feels a little foolhardy. What part of the plan I are you I just don't about? believe that, like, they would have made it out of the bunker. I feel like they would have gotten stopped. There's no... I, I just don't think this was very well planned. I think it would have worked. I wouldn't even call this a plan, honestly. This is not a plan. This is, like, the prelude to a plan. This is, like, we have to gather all of our people, you know, including the ones in the valley, and then we make the plan. <laughs> just... This was like taking it one step at a time kind of thing. I do I think, think they would have made it very out. Nice. Clark and Bellamy, when they work together, can accomplish amazing things. That's true. <laughs> That's true. In the hydro farm, Bellamy tells Monty, or Bellamy finds Monty still holding Jasper's letter. Bellamy says he misses Jasper too, that he should have been on the ring with them, but instead he gave up. If he'd have hung on a little longer, he could have made it. But Monty says they're doing it again, and they need to save their friends by stopping the war instead of facilitating it. Monty then reveals that he brought a canister of his algae down. One crew is fighting for the valley because they can't survive in the bunker, but with the algae, they can. Bellamy tells them it's a good idea, but their friends come first. Um, and look, I, I get what Monty's saying, and I'm not saying that I disagree with him. He's not wrong. Right. But I also don't think that living in the bunker, eating algae, um, and being with one crew is, like, truly living. It's surviving. Um, but as Clark said and you know, season two to Lexa, maybe life should be about more than just surviving. Totally. Um, so I just – I can't imagine this being a kind of life that anyone would be okay with, you know, being stuck in. Mm-hmm. 
And it goes back, you know, to Jasper's whole point too. Like he was tired of just struggling to survive while never really living. Um, so I, I want them to live and this is a hopeless life. And I know that Monty is okay with it and he was okay with staying, you know, in space forever, I think. But yeah. that's not realistic to expect that other people would also be okay with and it. And it's not realistic. I mean, and it's not it's not a, a completely healthy outlook either for Monty. I mean, I want I want Monty to get to a place where he is excited for possibility. Yeah. Um, this is also completely irrelevant because <laughs> Octavia is dead set on taking that valley and there is no amount of algae no. that would ever dissuade her against it. <laughs> like so, Valley of Eden? Algae. Right. Mm. That's sweet. <laughs> it's very cute, Monty. Um, but no. I did I did think this was a really sweet moment though between Bellamy and Monty. Um, it's nice to have like a quiet moment, just the two of them. We rarely really get to see that. Um, yeah, it Bob, was beautiful. Bob Morley had mentioned that there was a moment between him and uh, Monty where they kind of talked about Jasper's death and kind of came together in that way. And I expected it to be a flashback on the arc. Um, but it was really nice to see it here, to kind of see that be brought up again after so long and to kind of reopen those wounds and examine where these two characters are um, in terms of how they feel about, you know, what happened six years ago. Yeah, um, and also, again, just to point out how close they've become yeah. From living on the Ark for six years together. They are family. Yeah, these two are such different people. Oh, man. But I love seeing the gentle way they interact with each and other. And they love each other. They love each other. I also thought Make Algae Not War is so perfect. Like, they didn't realize how apt this <laughs> would become so when he true. was in space. <laughs> so true. <laughs> uh, also, anyone notice that when Bellamy went to go find Monty and Harper, we never see Harper? I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah. She's never there. I, 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 we also can't beat a dead horse with this because we get, we talk about this every episode. Yeah, I'm just, I am at the end the of my rope here. hell? No, What the hell? They hashtag justice for Harper. Justice for Harper. She's a, like a person who has gone through a lot of trauma in the last, whatever, what a season is this? Five, five seasons. Um, she should have much more characterization than this. Like she's, done so much and yet she's given so little to do yeah i mean it's incredibly unfair that they can spend so much time with brand new characters like dioza and fairly recent additions like tazia Tellis and echo um all of these strong wonderful complex beautifully portrayed women um all very different and yet harper is consistently underwritten and under appreciated i just i am so sick of being bored by Harper. I mean, I think you're like even going too far by saying underwritten. She's just not written. Yeah. There is no writing for her. Well, I'm saying underwritten because they promoted her to a series regular. I know. Well, and I think they actually, they, they have her now listed as like a guest. I don't know. I don't know. It's very confusing, but all I'm saying is I was deeply offended in the scene when Monty was talking about Jasper's letter that Harper's line was, Monty, Monty it's, it's okay. okay. Me too. We both looked at each other and we were like disgusted. Give her another role outside of her relationship with Monty. It's and absurd. Also, like, there are so many different ways to react to him breaking down about his best friend's suicide. Monty, it's okay is so dissatisfactory. Yeah. Like, and, and just pathetic yeah it is a pathetic attempt to consolation it's weak it's like a weak and like, for people who supposedly have been in love for seven years i i don't buy it yeah okay <laughs> we'll move I've on from that until next on. episode i guess <laughs> 
Kane finds Abby and says he wants to apologize, saying that he does believe that she did all she could to save Karina under the circumstances. Abby isn't satisfied with that. Kane tells her he loves her, that he'd die for her, but he won't watch her kill herself. She needs to choose, him or the pills. Dioza interrupts this, and when Abby doesn't answer, Kane leaves. I mean, I feel like we knew this was coming. Um, I think you were the one who predicted that they wouldn't make it by the end of this season as a couple. Um, but yeah, it was, but it was still heartbreaking to watch, and I feel so sad for both of them. They are stuck, and it's heartbreaking. I mean, I don't find this to be, like, the end of their story, although I still become more and more convinced with each episode that Kane will die by the end of this season. I think that's fair. Um, but, I, I like I'm saying, I'm not saying this is the, the end of everything here right now. Um, oh, no, I, I think don't they think they still so have either. They have a little ways to, to go. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do think that this is the, the start of the end, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it, it's hard to say what the right thing to do here is because I I don't think this is going to help Abby quit the pills Mm -hmm. but I also think that you know Kane has to take care of himself like he is in a relationship with an addict and I think for his own sanity and 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 mental health he cannot continue like this yeah I mean when you're dealing with someone who is has substance abuse problems I mean ultimately the choice has to be theirs on how if they want to get clean um, and being in a you, – you can't be in a committed relationship with somebody who is abusing a substance because their number one primary relationship is with the substance mm-hmm. and not with you. So you always come in second, and that is not a good place to be in any relationship. You should always be the most important person to each other. Um, and so just for that reason alone, like, you, you need to exit the relationship, especially because if someone is abusing a substance, they need to focus on that first and foremost. Um, and having a secondary relationship is, is not conducive to getting clean. Um, but I do want to say, because this isn't, this isn't like a real circumstance. These people are basically being held captive by violent criminals. Right. There, there is a little bit of like, I feel like Kane helps Abby function better than she will when he's gone. Oh yeah. She needs to function. I mean, I think Abby is absolutely right. And that the only reason that they still are, exercising any kind or they're enjoying any kind of freedom here is because of her service as a doctor and I think Kane just adamantly refuses to recognize that value um and so you're right in that this is not going to be I don't think that this is spelling a disaster it's just a hard situation you know yeah it's hard all around I do think this show handled the subject and continues to handle the subject of substance abuse very admirably um so far this season and I I think it's been done very very well it's very thorough and I think it's been really responsible in its portrayal of both sides of of this kind of relationship um so yeah yeah I I agree it's all good nothing to add there (laughs) Dioza asks Abby if there's anything good to report, and Abby says that 75% of her people are dying. She's still working on a treatment, but with their antiquated technology, they're basically screwed. (laughs) Abby asks Dioza if she hasn't come in for testing because she's already experiencing symptoms, and Dioza notes that it's something like that. Then she reveals that she's pregnant. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do think it's cool that they're incorporating the actress's, like, real-life pregnancy into the storyline. They're, I hope, going to do it better than other shows, cough, angel, cough, have done before. (laughs) Um, I'm really curious, though, to see 
how this is going to give the show meaning because they don't do anything in the show without a reason for it. So her being pregnant has got to become, you know, more of a plot point than just like her being she pregnant. She happens to be pregnant. Um, I do kind of wonder if this is some sort of way to instill a bit of hope in the future that, you know, life goes on and there's a new generation to come and we can make the world better for them than we made it for ourselves. Um, I, I like that idea kind of mixed in with the breaking the cycle of violence idea. Uh, so I hope that's something that they're going to try to explore as this continues, but I'm not sure. I mean, I would hope so. I, I'm really excited. I mean, I'm, I'm so happy that they weren't just like, oh, wow, you need to go on a diet. Like, <laughs> you know, that they're like addressing. Or just show her from like the head up, you know. Right. I, I, I pre- well, not only do I appreciate the fact that they're giving her sexuality, um, and in not in a shameful way. Yeah. She's like, she happens to be pregnant. She's a strong, independent woman. She, she don't need no man. Um, also, I was going to say, how is the a father? Man? Is it McCreary? Because that's kind of be. gross. It has to be McCreary. So he's got to go. Because he would make a terrible he father. He would make a terrible um, father. So Murphy, Maury, finish him off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I did miss them this episode. Um, yeah, no, I, I really like that theory. I like the idea of all of these these themes of hope and optimism sort of percolating here uh, will all come to a head by the end of this season. I think that would be a very refreshing change of change of pace for the show. Maybe she's pregnant with an alien child. Oh my god. Maybe she fell in love with an alien on the asteroid. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I, I do want to say that given that they've introduced this plot, I am now 100% convinced that Dioza will live long enough to have this baby. Like, they're not going to kill her and her unborn baby. No. Um, so she will have the baby. Not even the hundred. No, not even the hundred. <laughs> um, the real question for me is whether she lives after it to raise the baby or if someone else is going to have to raise it for her once she dies. I it's a great question and I think it just I don't know if they want her back for next season it's honestly a toss-up and you know with my vision of how the season ends with some people maybe staying on earth and some going to another planet I could see Dioza living but also not being in future seasons like if she just kind of stays on earth or stays you know where if she is um I just I would I'm gonna be devastated to lose her if we do because I she's just so good yeah I I love her I don't want her to go I think she'd make a good mom, though, honestly. She'd make a great mom in the same way that Clark makes a great mom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll see, but I'm I'm interested to follow this. This is an unexpected development for me. No, but I'm excited. Yeah. Echo clearly wants to apologize to a furious raven, but before she can, Zeke is brought into the church. He is beaten up and newly collared, and he knows it's Raven who betrayed him. Raven watches on with tears in her eyes. Uh, so can we now officially say that Zeke is a delinquent? <laughs> no. I think yes. I think we're close. I, I'm officially saying right now Zeke is a delinquent. Okay. I I mean, I'm not quite there. I need like one more. I need one more thing. And then maybe. Oh, I don't mean that he's like on their side 100%. I just mean like he is now part of this like delinquent team of kids who have yeah, been yeah. like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's definitely like on team delinquent. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I was very pleased with this development. I think this is the tension filled dynamic between Raven and Zeke that I've wanted to see for them from the first encounter, um, which was kind of missing for me. And now it feels like we're getting onto the right track here. And this is where I wanted to start. And this is the the track that I wanted us to be on. So I'm very excited moving forward between the two of them. Ship is sailing. Wind in my sails. <laughs> um, 
I'm, I'm definitely curious to see how they keep developing, especially now that Raven betrayed Zeke in the same way that he betrayed her. Yes, this is what I'm saying. It's yeah. like I like I like the I like the, the tension. even footing. Here. Yes, yes, we got a lot of things to work out, but once we do, onward. Yeah. Clark goes to the training arena to find Maddie. The trainees are fighting, and Octavia asks to see Maddie's to, to see Maddie fight next. Gaia protests, but Octavia doesn't relent, so Maddie and Ethan square off. Ethan knocks Maddie down, and Maddie gets angry and ends up kicking his ass. <laughs> Octavia is shocked and impressed and asks Maddie to be her second, and Maddie accepts. Octavia then asks Clark if she can borrow Maddie for a strategy meeting, and Clark smiles and says, no, no worries. But when she turns around and walks away, Kill Bill sirens start playing in <laughs> all of our heads. Juanjeda has officially been released. <laughs> like, for the love of God, Maddie, why? <laughs> She Why? Can't, she can't help it. I know. She's like this rebellious little preteen. She just wants to be accepted. And she doesn't, I think, fully understand the true danger. Even if Clark is telling her, when you're a child, that kind of stuff just doesn't feel as real. No, it just feels like your mom, like, yelling at you. And I can see from the outside that Octavia seems pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm not. I mean, I don't really blame Maddie. I'm just so frustrated that. I know. I'm but so it, terrified for her. I, <laughs> and you saw, like, Clark's face when Clark realized that she was going to basically kick his ass. And she was like, no, don't nope, do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't, do, don't you dare. <laughs> It was uh, like, don't touch the butt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Clark's face also at the end of this was priceless. Uh, you know, she had that like beatific smile when yeah. she was looking at Octavia no, and then no, it just, fine. and then it just switched. She turned around and, and like, mask boom. was revealed. You know, she like, Juan <laughs> Hayda is back. She is back. <laughs> um, it, this scene I thought was really amazing on all character ends. Clark, Maddie, and Octavia, and Gaia. And Gaia. Really. And Gaia. Um, and little Ethan, you know. We made a little bit of progress. We Maddie have. didn't, you know, take his hand or take her hand away. Yeah, like no, I think Maddie his. is going to be a positive influence on I little Ethan. I hope so. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, I have to say, though, I am confused about where Maddie learned to fight because Clark never really knew how to fight. Like, she wasn't. A fighter. Useless, but she wasn't a fighter by no. any means. And Maddie here, like, has moves. Um, so my one thing would be maybe uh, Maddie was taught sword fighting when she was still, like, in hiding as, like, in case you're ever found, you're going to need to know this. Um, but yeah. that doesn't really make any sense as to why she would still know it. I think you would forget that after six years. So it I has to be – No, you would. She was, like, six years old. No, what, I'm, forget that. what I'm saying is – I think we're just supposed to accept that she's a good fighter. She is a good fighter, but I just, I mean, like, she has to be a good fighter because her and Clark sparred together. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't understand this development, um, but I will take it at face value. Yeah, just let it go. I mean, I, I let a lot of things go, and I can let it go. You're going to let <laughs> But I wanted to too. point it out. Yeah. <laughs> Clark goes to meet the other delinquents, and when Bellamy asks where Maddie is, Clark tells him she's with his sister. Then she goes to the computer and unplugs the radio, telling Monty that she's stopping the cycle, and she contacts Dioza. She asks Dioza what it would take for her to share the valley, and Dioza says it would take an unconditional surrender. Monty notes that Octavia would never surrender, and Clark knows he's right. That's why they're going to take Octavia out. Mic drop. Boom. Boom. Um, yeah, so prime Clark in this episode. Yep. 
you know, we've got Clark Griffin, Commander of Death, Breaker of Cycles. <laughs> uh, we have, you know, Mama Bear Clark, Bell Art Clark, Delinquent Clark, One Hedda Clark. Like, all of the best of Clark is here in this episode in different scenes. And that is one of the main reasons why I love this episode so much. Agreed. I mean, Clark is is the show. I mean, she is the most interesting, multifaceted, awesomeness character we have. Um, and seeing her kind of break out from her previous sort of unsuredness um, and really embrace all of the wonderful aspects of her personality and shine um, is just glorious. It's so good. All hail Queen Clark. And I also feel that one Hedda very deeply because I too want to kill Octavia for getting anywhere close to Maddie. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Octavia, like we're going to take her, we're going to take her out. Mm-hmm. She's got to go. Yep. You've crossed the line. You've crossed like 12 lines. No, but the, this is the biggest line. <laughs> this was like a giant, bold, fat, red, yeah. blinking neon line that was crossed. Um, um, go talking ahead. about the line that was crossed, since we forgot to talk about it in the last scene, um, how do you think Octavia is feeling right now about Maddie? Is she making her a second as like, oh, this girl really has potential. I'd like her by my side. And then also no. using that as like a way to manipulate Clark, or is she like, I'm going to get this girl into war and get her killed so she doesn't, you know, come up against um, me? I think both, but I think Octavia is actually thinking that she's been hearing a lot of disgruntledness from Team Bellark about her methods this episode. And in as a way of controlling Clark and, and consequently Bellamy, I think she is putting Maddie into a precarious position um, as a way of controlling them, um, specifically because of everything that went, ha- went down this episode. I don't think it's – I don't think it hurts that Maddie might get fatally wounded and thus not be an issue anymore. It's just such a classic tale, you know, yeah. of putting someone in battle hoping that they'll yeah. die. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I would say that Octavia is, like, quite there yet. I don't think she's – I don't. I think even she would have a problem killing children. I have to hope that. Out of all the things, I have to believe that. I gotta. I mean, yes. But then, if she started killing children, like I wouldn't. I, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't shock me. But I really do hope she's done some horrible things, and she's kind of an awful person right now. She's <laughs> but, terrible. But like. Killing children is, like, a line that, like, crosses beyond anything that anyone does. And, you know, Clark has killed children. <laughs> That's true. But but oh this God. feels, like, very pointed and very malicious in a way that no one else has ever felt before to me. I agree. Even Bellamy, when he killed all of those soldiers. They weren't children, at least, so that we know of. That we know. I would assume they're not children. Um. Well, Finn killed children. Well, Finn went crazy yeah like that was not like a he did not think with his mind he like lost control yeah which is different question for your question how do we think bellamy is feeling about everything at this point about taking out octavia or i think bellamy knows she's right i think he wishes she weren't right you mean clark yeah clark yeah um but i think he knows that like this is what they have to do yeah. And he does I, not I, like it. I hope that's what he's thinking. I do think, you know, we do know that next episode, we've at least been told that next episode, Clark and Bellamy are going to have some sort of emotional scene. I'm expecting it to be something like um, Heckledama, 
um, where they kind of lay all of their, their cards out, cards out, and, and their fights, hearts. and are yelling at each other. And I, I hope the most glorious that thing was such I've ever a glorious seen. scene. And I, I hope that we get that part too. That's what I'm. That's what I'm looking for. So we can kind of come back together. Yeah. Um, in a true sense. Um, so I, I'm sure that you know there is some complexity to what he's feeling right now that. <laughs> That will get discussed very soon. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's interesting that, you know, Clark made this grand statement. We're taking her out. And then they zero in on Bellamy's face. But it's very unclear as to what he's thinking. Well, he turns around because he knows what she's going to say before she says it. And she watches him that entire scene. Like, as she's talking oh, to yeah. Lisa, she doesn't take her eyes off him. Um, she knows. She knows that this is, you know. This is going to be a sticking yeah. point. Well... What an episode. What an episode. Let's go through some of our discussion points um, now at the end. We're going to start a new section here where we talk about how the title is incorporated throughout the episode since we are terrible at doing it. We did that last episode. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we're starting so a new we one. We started a new one before. This is the Well, we're the now officially annual. starting it. <laughs> that was a, like, accident. Now I'm officially starting it in perpetuity. Um, so couple of things to note here with the title of acceptable losses. I think the most superficial la- superficial layer, um, obviously, is the idea of what is and is not acceptable for Octavia um, with callbacks, you know, to prior moments with Bellamy and Clark in similar situations like this. Um, I did like that one line that Bellamy had where he was like, well, I guess this we found something that's not acceptable, <laughs> uh, speaking about the worms. Uh, so <laughs> we know where Octavia's priorities lie, and we've spent a significant amount of time talking about that. So I think that's like the most obvious interpretation of the title. I do think there is another interpretation um, for the Zeke uh, Echo Raven storyline in that for Echo... Zeke is expendable in a certain sense um, and is an acceptable loss, and but he is not an acceptable loss for Raven. Mm-hmm. And that tension and that dynamic um, has, was really interesting to watch this whole episode. And then, of course, the most obvious and most important, significant, um, unacceptable loss is Maddie. <laughs> yeah. Unacceptable. <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> so... Lots of lots of things to unpack there. Uh, sorry to just briefly bril- bullet through them like that. I feel like this was a, an easier title to unpack because it's pretty clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There wasn't as much to, to uncover here. But oh, and of course we forgot the, another obvious one, which was uh, Kane's acceptable losses um, with the, the prisoners. They oh, were yeah, that's a good him, one. Whereas Dioza was like, no, they're not. <laughs> right, and Abby too. Yeah. Kane is an acceptable loss, but the pills aren't. Yeah. So many things, guys. Yeah. Um, so you want to talk about our favorite lines? Sure. All right. What was yours? Uh, my favorite line was what Clark said to Bellamy, that desperation has a, ma- a way of making the unimaginable a necessity. Um, that's, again, just one of those lines that I think succinctly summarizes this entire series. Um, sometimes to survive, we do awful things. <laughs> yeah. It, it was like a, a golden nugget of a line. Yeah. It was like breathless when they when they implemented that um my favorite line is actually the one that monty said which is if war is the only way to have the last survivable land on earth then maybe they don't deserve it um i feel like monty is so pure and wonderful and special and to const- and to still be able to maintain this level of purity after all of these years is and everything he's seen and um done. and everything he's done is is miraculous and necessary lightness in this show and mm-hmm. I think without him things could get really overwhelming in a dramatic sense 
So I always appreciate um, the little Monty Green whenever we get it. Him reminding us of our best selves. Yeah, it's important and necessary. Um, And I love him. So what was your favorite scene? Um, My favorite scene was hands down the scene where Maddie was fighting in the arena and Clark was watching. That entire scene worked for me on like every single level. You know, as much as I didn't want Maddie to show how good she was, I also wanted her to kick Ethan's ass because he was a punk ass bitch. Um, I loved Clark and her like subtle facial expressions as she watched Maddie. I loved, well, I I was intrigued by Octavia's manipulations um, of Clark and of Maddie. And then when Clark turns around and, like, that smile drops off her face is just such a great moment. And then I, of course, have to mention the um, the song playing in the background. Yes. It was, like, perfect mood setting. Oh, yeah. Uh, that it was, was just, a it perfect was a great, choice. great scene. It was a great scene. I'm still recovering from that <laughs> scene. Um, it was not my favorite. I mean, I thought it was fantastic and brilliant in all the ways that you said. But for me, I, it was too nerve-wracking. I couldn't stand it. Um, my favorite scene... Um, unsurprisingly, was the cafeteria scene where Bellark talks to Indra. There was so much humor and lightness and companionship and just general sass. Um, I I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I have watched that scene a thousand times at this point. I mean, it was just gorgeous. It, it was really good. It was wonderful for me. <laughs> um, so let's move on to our next episode preview. Yes. Episode 508 is called How We Get to Peace. The official description is Clark's determination to protect Maddie puts Bellamy in an impossible situation. Um, I think that's pretty clear what that's yeah, referring to. I wonder what that means. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's also interesting, too, that the writers leaked a fake title for this episode before the real title was released. Um, the fake title was Secret Weapon, which actually they said in this episode, which was about the worms. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to wonder if it in some way relates to next episode as well, or if that was just like... Just a general a fake, fake title. Yeah. Or maybe they, like, moved some things around. You yeah, know? maybe. It's possible that, like, the sequence of, of things that they were doing just kind of got shifted a little bit, and they moved one of these episodes up a little earlier. Um, I don't know. Yeah. With that, that is our episode. If you would like to get in contact with us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That's S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. Um, please send us your emails. If we feel like you've got something to say, we will shout you out on the podcast like we did with Lucia. Uh, or probably get your name wrong. So again, sorry about that. Give us, give us like, uh, some context there. <laughs> or give, give us, us a phonetical yeah, spelling. Yeah, give us a phonetical spelling next time. Sorry, Lucia, Lucia, Lucia. <laughs> All of the things. Uh, you can also tweet us at, at Skycast, um, on Twitter. You can tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman 89 And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. Thanks for joining us on SkyCast. We will be back next week. Back-to-back episodes. And a very exciting episode. I'm ready for it. I'm so excited. (laughs) So until then, bye. Bye. Bye.